So I'm halfway through my family leave uh, that my work generously gave me. And for some reason, I foolishly thought, oh, I'm going to be off work. I'm going to get a lot of sleep. I'm going to get a lot of things done. It's going to be great. That has turned out to not be true basically whatsoever. You know, I started school again and I have the newborn. I basically stay up late doing homework and then I get woken up early to take the oldest one to daycare. And then I might squeeze in a nap, maybe. And if not, I'm just a zombie. And then like before you know it, it's time to go pick up the other one from daycare and make dinner and do bath time and start homework again. I literally like I feel like I have less time than I did when I was working 40 hours a week. It's, It's strange. Are you going to, are you doing it online or are these all in-person classes too? Um, this semester is, I have two in-person classes and two online. That, that factoring in the commute and actually being, you know, having yes, to be there for 40, time. That makes- 40 minutes one way to go to class. Um, but that $2,600 tax-free BAH is, is worth it. <laughs> That's probably true. Now we went through the same thing, like, we went from four to five kids, you know, our oldest three, we adopted. So we had one like newborn in the house. And at a certain point, you just got a lot of kids and it doesn't matter. Like the difference between four or five is negligible. We yeah. totally didn't think about the fact that my wife could take a nap in the day. The kids were at school. And then when we had number five, you didn't have that luxury. Like <laughs> number four still needed a parent. Number three was still home because it's a COVID year and walking with zombies through all of 2020. Yeah, it's not like... I think there is, um, what do they call it, diminishing returns, the more kids you have, for sure. And and I I use diminishing returns, like, in the opposite sense. Like, (laughs) having, but going from one to two kids isn't twice as hard. It's more than twice as hard. Yeah, it's exponentially harder. I agree. Yeah, it's not, it's not just a double. It's actually more hard than twice as hard. Uh, But I think you do get to a tipping point where it's like, okay, especially your kids, because you have some older ones that can, you know, at least take care of themselves or at worst case scenario, like, help you out with the babies uh if you need it like having two under the age of three is insanity yep that's we we found that to be the case as well and yeah i think that was just like one of the dumbest things i've ever thought in my life that i was just like (laughs) this is not how i thought this is going to play out but yeah somehow somehow we've all survived it humanity has survived it for many many years and yes yes needless to say Needless to say, we've missed some recording weeks because our schedules haven't lined up. Uh, this is the first time I felt decent. I got decent sleep last night. And by decent, I mean like I got six hours total and it was interrupted every two-ish hours. Uh, but that's more than I was getting like four hours and it wasn't like not even straight. It was not good. Um, I've been surviving off like monsters and that's it. Pure yeah. willpower. Yep, that's pretty much the only option. So lots of coffee, yeah. lots of energy drinks. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we haven't been recording the other video game podcast either. Uh, we actually just did our first episode in like a month on Sunday as well. Uh, maybe it was Monday. It was yesterday. We, we recorded yesterday. So yeah, man, it's just good. It's I, I think I, I want to record on our normal schedules for both of these podcasts, but it's just it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I think that I underestimated... I think you had, how old was your um, first born when the pandemic hit? You guys had him like shortly before the pandemic? Um, so the first child my wife gave birth to was. Uh, yes, that's what I mean. Sorry. When the pandemic hit. 
Yeah, no, 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 you're good. It, it's, it, yeah, it's long-winded explanation for our family. Yes. Um, yeah, the, yeah. So our fourth child, first that she gave birth to, was two in the pandemic hit. Okay. Our fifth child, the second born, um, two months old when everybody went on house arrest. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your fifth child is about Remy's age. Yeah, Remy was yeah, born yeah. February and everything shut down in March. So. We, we, we got really lucky that we were able to stay home with him so often in the early months and I had nothing to, you know, I wasn't going to work or anything similar to how I am now, but now I have school and, but like Rachel didn't have to go. Rachel didn't go back. She worked from home for the first six months. Remy didn't even go to daycare until he was six months old. We're putting, we're putting the new one in daycare at like three months old. So yeah, man, yeah. I don't know. I just like, when you like say it to me, if, if you were describing a different person, you're like, oh, yeah, they, they're having a second child and uh, he's working full time and also going to school full time. I'd be like, that guy's an idiot. Was he like, doesn't he know the child like raising a child is going to like you're not going to be able to do all that. But like when, when I thought about it for myself, I'm like, oh, I can do that. Like, I don't know. I have like this. It's hubris is what it is. It's overconfidence for like, oh, that's not a problem. Like, but I'm somebody who insanely values sleep and like free time. Like if I have the opportunity to like, if they're like, we're going to pay you two times your salary to come in and work an extra 10 hours a week. I'd be like, I'd rather have that time off. Like the, my, my time is more valuable than like my hourly rate. Uh, I prefer, you know, hanging out. I prefer eight hours of sleep a night when I can get it. And it's just like not been that way for about, you know, a month and a half now. Yeah, so well, it's only hubris if you fail. If you succeed, it's determination. So, yes. So we will see. Uh, it'll be an interesting, an interesting story to write uh, if I if I do survive this. But so far, so far, I think I am not drowning. But the water's up to my nose. Like we're just. I'm like I can feel it. But like I'm uh-huh. I'm still breathing. I'm still breathing. Uh, we, I have my first like midterms coming up the next two weeks. I have, uh, I think three out of my four midterms in the next two weeks. We'll see if I do well on those, I'll be, I'll be, uh, more confident that I'm, I'm doing okay. But like right now I just feel like I go to class and like, they start talking. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm fall Like I've, I've seen it before, but I'm like, I don't, I, ha- I haven't studied it enough to like embed it in me. So I'm like, Oh man, that looks familiar, but like it doesn't at all. And like, that's got me scared. No, a hundred percent. Like I was eight weeks into grad school when I became a dad and I like, I spent like next two years or so just knowing I had zero margin in my calendar. Mm. And like, I was taking melatonin to make sure I fell asleep on time. Yeah. A ton of coffee the next day to make sure I was semi-decent to be around. And that yeah. was probably a super unhealthy two years, but. Yeah. And that's what I've got bad. on the horizon. That's what I got on the horizon. I, I have at least two years left. So we'll see. We'll see if out. I, uh, yeah. Hopefully this doesn't end in like a murder suicide. Uh, but I digress. Welcome back, everybody. Like I said, it's been really hard for both of us to kind of stay on schedule, but we try our best. Uh, but yeah, we, I miss, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. I got my hair cut. It's not as long on the sides anymore. Uh, the recording platform we used to record this has changed completely. There's a lot of, there's a lot of new things, a lot of new things in the world. Uh, but we're going to discuss some stuff over the last three to four weeks that we want to talk about, mainly uh, the college loan forgiveness program from Biden. AKA what, there we go. And uh, Trump announcing his candidacy for 2024, which 
you know, great timing in the middle of a serious investigation. But we are the 1v1 Deep State. If you, you've probably forgotten because we haven't, it's been about a month, I think, since the last episode. Uh, I'm at the Rick Reviews of Four on Twitter. Relaunch. We're relaunching. Yes. We're rebooting, uh, yeah, whatever it is, after a long layoff, bringing everybody back. We're all a little bit older. My co-host, at Thomas Black, underscore 86 on Twitter. Rocking the sleeveless, trying to make me feel jealous of his massive guns. Uh, he is... I don't know. I've muted Liberty and the Brave, so I don't know if you've been tweeting a lot, but I haven't been seeing it. <laughs> I've been tweeting a lot, but it's pretty much been about Liberty and the Braves. Yeah, so. that's what I figured. I, like anytime I'm like, oh, I haven't seen anything from Thomas in a while. I'm like, oh, it's because I've blocked all the keywords for everything he's interested in. Yeah, I, I've pretty much quit arguing any kind of like political policy or yes. uh, religious or ethics because 240 characters isn't the place to have that discussion, I've determined. So it's all sports now. And uh, you're going to have to mute the Dolphins if they beat the Bills next week because I would be super obnoxious that after, I don't know, two decades. <laughs> I don't mind that because I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually into the NFL, so I don't mind that. But I don't care about baseball enough, and I definitely don't care about, A, college football enough, B, a minor program in college football, and C, your favorite college, college football, football team. So that checks, all the boxes for, that checks all the boxes for a mute for me. Uh, no problem. But yeah, that's like I said, I never know if you're tweeting or not because I've got so many of your favorite hobbies muted, uh, which is <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, but to be fair, I muted like the Astros and because it, like it's Josh and his buddies all talk about the Astros. I just don't care about baseball. Not even. Luckily, you don't have to mute Texas A&M because uh, App State <laughs> handled any tweeting that they'll be doing. So goodbye. Yeah, I don't mute A&M because I want to. Uh, see all the misery that josh right now they're terrible and it's hilarious something i'm so if they get good by that's fair yeah i think uh i think i think the main thing we want to talk about is the debt cancellation so let's start off with the probably shorter topic about trump announcing his candidacy for 2024 amidst this uh department of justice investigation do you like I know that's been talked about before. We, I, we we touched on it when we recorded the podcast on it previously. Like, do you think that this investigation is boosting his chances or is it actually harming his, uh, his candidacy for 2024? I'm always wrong about stuff like this, so I hate predicting it. I just think everybody has already made up their mind on President Trump. I mean, you know who he is um, and you know if you're willing to overlook all the things he's done, you know what you're getting. And if you're not, you're either going to vote Democrat or off ticket. Um, so I just don't know that it's going to terribly affect um, his chances. T- t- to me, the, the only like variable is how many people um, are basically going to vote based off the economy and their, their belief that, uh, you know, his personal conduct is worth it to get the economy back where they want it. And that's the only uh, wild card, I think, in all of this for for his chances, personally, because there's just no unknowns with him at this point. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I agree with that. I think that his base has already decided that this is a witch hunt and that they believe whatever he says, whether whether it's the FBI planted the classified documents to I declassified them all before I left office, whatever excuse he's going to have. Uh, it's mostly like you can't win without independence. And I'm, I think that independents aren't going to vote for somebody who 
puts national security at risk as wantonly as Trump has appeared to. Uh, I think we talked in our episode about it. Like there was some reporting that there was like nuclear secrets in the documents. It turns out that it's like our assessment of foreign powers, nuclear capabilities, which is a little bit different. I mean, it's not, it's still not something you want leaked, but it's not as damaging as say our own nuclear capabilities falling into the wrong hands. So that was interesting. But again, we don't really truly know what's, what's in all the classified documents. Cause they're probably never going to tell us, but the fact that like some of the sleeve jackets that had, they were like uh, manila folders that didn't have, they were marked, you know, classified inside and there's nothing inside of them. They couldn't find the documents that go in those folders. That's a little troubling, but I haven't seen any evidence that they were necessarily compromised, but they were still similar to Hillary's emails. They were still in an unsecure location with access by multiple un, un, unclear personnel, right? Un, yeah, unclear personnel. There you go. Thank you. So, you know, cleaners and who knows, hotel guests that Trump wanted to show them to, to show off. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but they were definitely not in a secure location. I don't. I think that's that's going to make it hard for. I don't know. I think he could still has. He's probably the second favorite to win the Republican nomination. I think Ronnie is uh, probably the one who benefits the most from this DOJ investigation. But if Trump does win the Republican nomination, I don't think he wins. I, I was pessimistic he would beat Biden anyway without this investigation but with it i don't think he can win enough independent support undecided voter support uh because like you said you already know what you're getting with him and for some independents they're like that that's okay like i don't care about his brash personality if he's going to you know right the ship quote unquote if that's your viewpoint but i think it's also a bridge too far for them to like put him back in power and in charge and commander-in-chief when he he can't a he can't properly store classified material that he I mean he stole it it's not he I don't I haven't seen any evidence that he like you know bring these classified documents these specific classified documents with me it does seem more like we need to get the f out of the white house they're kicking us out put all these documents in a box and take them with us type of thing that that is somewhat excusable but the fact that like they requested the documents back and he didn't give them back that's pretty damn damning and damaging in, in its own right and so I think that that does hold weight with, you know, some maybe some of that more on the fence voters. Yeah, I don't, again, I'm, to me, after, after, for instance, January 6th and, and you know, the, the sum of his, his term in office, um, I can't imagine too many people being on the fringe and this being the thing that pushes them over. You know, because it's not like that's, it was one or two fair. things. So many things. Uh, you're either with him or against him. I think, I think what will be interesting is to see how many – how big the primary field is for the GOP. Um, and and my, some of my concern is that it's going to be a contest of who can out-Trump Trump, and I think that's bad for America. So I'm hoping that, like, uh, Nikki Haley, who I don't think would uh, resort to those kind of tactics, but would still be, um, from a policy standpoint, somebody who I could I could get on board with enough. I'm hoping she runs, because I think she would have a good chance in the in the primaries especially if it's a smaller field where, you know, the, the GOP votes aren't split up, you know, a dozen or so ways like they were on a Super Tuesday of, 
2016, 15. Yeah, I know uh, DeSantis said he wasn't going to run if Trump ran, but I'm curious if he changes his mind given all the happenings, you know? Yeah, I mean, but I think I think what would be more likely if he if he didn't run, and then, you know, you can never really trust what a politician says at this point, but um, I think he'll definitely have a cabinet position, if not a VP. And obviously in Virginia, a lot of people are speculating that, uh, you know, Governor Yunkin has, has kind of just tried to use this as a stepping stone to a, a federal office. Um, and I don't see the Trump comparisons nearly as much as, uh, you know, left-leaning uh, commentators accuse him of. But um, it would make some sense because Virginia is a little bit more of a swing state than Florida to try to have him uh, on the ticket with you if that's something he had. Trump would consider. Yeah, it's definitely not going to be Pence again. That's for sure. <laughs> no, but honestly, I wouldn't mind him running. Like, I can, can me again. He, you know, think I don't think he'll run against Trump. I don't think he'll run against Trump either. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think he will. But I mean, <sighs> I don't know. Somebody who can carry themselves with uh, respectability. Like I remember watching, you know, the the uh, debate with a. Uh, uh, you know, President Biden, President Trump, and, and you know, the, the generals. And like, I had to sit down with my kids, talk to them about here's how you communicate with people. Here's what you don't do. This is why this whole thing was amazing. after the first one where like everybody was embarrassed. Um, and I would rather just see a debate where you don't like, I don't feel like I have to be like, this is an embarrassment that needs to be addressed. So. Yeah, I think it'll be, I don't know about Haley, but I think Pompeo is probably gearing up to run. Yeah, and I've read reporting on him. The only reason he stayed on, there was a handful of them that publicly backed President Trump. And the thought was, if we don't publicly back him, we'll get fired. But we need to stay in this administration to prevent things from really going sideways. Um, and I can, I mean, if that's true, I can respect that at least. There's like a, a rationality to that thought progression that I think is, is uh, you know, has a lot more respectability to it than what was maybe publicly presented uh, during the whole, you know, two or three months between the election and the uh, uh, inauguration. Yeah. And all these, you know, books being written about the administration and like, oh, yeah, you should hear what he wanted to do. And I stopped him. And then it's like, oh, yeah, reelect him in 2024. It's like, what? Like, you can't. Those two things are kind of diametrically opposed when you're like yeah he wanted he wanted to do some wild stuff but you know we weren't we, we you know we we talked him out of it it's like okay well what happens in 2024 when none of you were there and you're backing him for president again uh yeah i don't know i don't i don't think he's the favorite and i like i said, i maintain that i think biden is biden's best matchup is against trump he already beat him once and it's only trump's only done himself a disservice since you know, the last election. So mm-hmm. uh, it'll be interesting, but it's just a real sad state of affairs. If we have to go Biden versus Trump in 2024 again, it's just like, there's no saving this country, man. Like this is the, these are the choices we're given. It's, it's miserable. But, but, but let's say president Trump loses the primary. Do you think he's just going to uh, fade away or is he going to run as an independent then? Cause then, I don't think he'll run as an independent. I don't mm-hmm. think so. I've, I've uh, never seen anything in him that would step away graciously and not try to keep the limelight. I, I agree, but I think that he has a grip, whatever it is, whatever percentage you want to put on it. Let's say 50% of the Republican Party. 
you know, is are at least not necessarily Trumpers, but at least support him in some form or fashion. Like, I think if he was threatening to run as an like actually going to run as an independent, he would lose a lot of that mainstream Republican support because then you're screwing. All that's going to do is screw the is screw the Republican nominee. It doesn't matter who it is. I think DeSantis is an overwhelming favorite against Biden. But if it's DeSantis on the ticket and Trump runs as a third party, there's no way DeSantis wins. So well, I, don't I think that, I think he would. I think he would like right now he's got and he could be a kingmaker. He's got influence in the Republican Party. And I think if he ran as a as an uh, independent, he would torch all that goodwill. Yeah, I mean, I hope you're right. I hope that's the rationale that's employed should he lose the primaries. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's a, a much, much greater than zero percent chance that he runs as an independent. Uh, yeah, I think it's. I mean, ahead. I think there's a chance. I just think that, like, I put it like cost, a fifty though. The and cost benefit isn't doesn't make sense for him, in my opinion. Of course, he does stuff that doesn't make sense all the time. That's not saying much, but I think they, I think he would show a lot of bluster and then back down. We'll see. I mean, I say I guess ninety two was the last time we had a kind of a, a you know. Three-person general election. Yeah, legitimate third party. Semi-legitimate third party. Enough to make the election, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ross Perot was a legitimate candidate, whereas, like, Gary Johnson was just the not Hillary, not Trump choice. Yeah. Uh, whereas people actually wanted to vote. Like, people wanted a pro presidency. That, was, that That's the main difference, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think anybody really was excited to vote for Gary Johnson either. It was just the least awful option of the three that's yeah i mean that's fair and he still didn't even get five percent or whatever you know however much you need to get uh to get federal funding for the next cycle so yeah so we'll see i mean i think the biggest thing really with with president trump is is timing i mean and how it will affect the midterms but yeah, the timing of his announcement is a little strange, too. I think he's trying to distract from all this. I don't know how much you've been following the DOJ investigation, but, you know, he, he sued for a special master and he was granted a special master. And now the special master is like, OK, you need to show proof that you declassify these documents because the DOJ has all this proof that they're classified. And uh, I, I feel like this announcement is coming in a suspicious time. Yeah, uh, it's a little early to be uh, announcing candidacy for president. I don't, I don't know of anybody else, any other significant player who has announced their candidacy. So it does feel like a little bit of a distraction uh, from what's going on. But yeah, I think. But well, but to your point, I mean, I think he realizes he's a little bit of a kingmaker in the Republican Party. Um, so if he knows he's going to run in twenty four, it makes more sense to announce and start endorsing people you want to win congressional seats. So you get more people that are, are more lockstep with your agenda um, and your tactics. So, you know, and, and then obviously if, if enough of them win, then it gives him even more momentum heading into the primary season. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess he's the only one that kind of has that clout to do that. But it was, I, I just think the, the timing is interesting. Like, why wait this long? And if you're going to wait this long, why not just wait a little bit longer? It just seemed like... Uh, he wanted to get some positive news in the press <laughs> cycle instead of what he's currently having. Yeah. But, yeah, I, we'll see. Well, I think the midterms are going to be interesting. I thought for sure that we would see 
massive uh, Republican gains. But now, based on a couple special elections that you know Democrats won unexpectedly, we might see. I, I still think they take the House, but they might not get the Senate, which is pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, and that obviously, you know, given the numbers there, that's that, that's a much easier one to take. You just need to, you know, flip one seat in between, yeah. you know, have a net one. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, and obviously, goodness, there's six weeks before elections, and then who knows what can happen in that time. So, yeah, still a lot of time. Uh, I still think that the Republicans are favored. Uh, it just doesn't. I thought it was going to be pretty massive. Like usually, when you're in a bad, a your first midterm election is usually brutal. On top of we're in a, you know, economic downturn. I thought it was for sure going to be a slam dunk, but now it's looking a little murkier, which is which is interesting. But yeah, I think uh, I, this is. I don't want to get into it because it's a topic for another episode. Uh, but I think a, the abortion rights issue has become front and center for this mm-hmm. midterm election, which might have backfired a little bit on on the GOP. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I'm sure for sure we'll record at least one more episode before the midterms and we'll, we'll give our predictions and and stuff. Uh, I can't guarantee we should do three more episodes, but we'll see. Uh, we'll get at least one in, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to uh, the other topic that we definitely want to discuss that we want to discuss a couple weeks ago. I think you were a little bit more jazzed to talk about it than I am. Uh, not that I'm not. I don't want to talk about it, but way more interested, but President Biden, exact date here, August 24th, I guess, is when they put this fact sheet out. Uh, student loan f- relief for borrowers who need it most is what this says. Obviously, it's uh, college loan, federal college loan debt cancellation or, you know, loan yeah. forgiveness, debt cancellation, however you want to title it. Uh, $10,000 for non Pell Grant recipients, 20,000 cancellation for Pell Grant recipients. Uh, eligible if the individual income is less than 125,000 a year, 250,000 for married couples. I think that's there might be some other specifications, but I'm not seeing them. But that's that's basically like you have to be not a high earner. And if you got a Pell Grant, which means you're one of the neediest recipients, you can get up to 20000 in debt cancellation. The cancellation made the headlines, but there's actually a lot of stuff in here that's just good for student borrowers in the future in general. They're cutting the monthly payments in half for undergraduate loans. Uh, the minimum monthly payments for those are getting cut in half. They're also looking to cut in half the amount the borrowers uh well, we already said that they pay half of that, but it's from 10% of your income to 5% monthly. And they're going to raise the amount of income that is considered non-discretionary income and therefore is protected from repayment. Uh, they're going to forgive loan balances after 10 years of payments instead of 20 years. And they're going to cover the borrower's unpaid monthly interest so that unlike other existing income-driven repayment plans, no borrower's loan balance will grow as long as they make their monthly payments. Uh, so basically, like as long as you're making your payments, your interest isn't going to grow. I'm somebody who... I mean... Government student loans are already really low interest, one of the lowest interest rates you can get. But it's still weird to me that they make interest on it at all. But I guess at that point, you're just I'm a big proponent of and I guess we can get into this later. But I'm a proponent of I don't know if we've talked about this or not. But like, I think the first two years of school should be covered, whether that's community college, a trade school, whatever. You get two years of post high school paid for. 
and then for me personally i'm that's that's i think that's polls pretty well i think it's like 60 or 70 percent of americans are on board with that first two years of school being paid for i think that you should be able to get an additional two years paid for if you go into a like critically manned career field like whatever you know we need i'm just making this up but like say we need civil engineers like that's labeled as a critically manned field if you go into that major to become a civil engineer you'll get your next two years paid for or whatever you know whatever it is and that can change every so often based on uh manning needs uh but yeah i think i think the debt cancellation part of it the more controversial part but i think the rest of the changes they made are i'm very wholly on board with and i'm a big fan of yeah i mean you know i think that the other changes they made are certainly of you know, lesser consequence. Um, you know, I think the problem is, yeah, you, you, the government basically, when they started getting involved in higher education and, and started to uh, get involved in providing student loans, um, it was sold to the American people as this is going to be extra revenue we have so we can offer the same services um, while lowering taxes or offer more services without raising taxes because we had this extra, I mean, at the end of the day, several billions of dollars in revenue that we're bringing in. I think there's a problem when the government thinks that uh, essentially ability, I mean, legally, of course they do, but they have the ability to forgive that when it, when they're not the, they're not the ones who, who loaned the money. It was American taxpayers that loaned the money expecting a return on that investment, essentially. Um, I mean, everything else you said about higher education is, you know, obviously a, a different policy than what was used to uh, cancel the debt in the midst of deficits and in the midst of, um, I mean, I get his argument, you know, obviously it was to some degree because of the uh, pandemic and the economy. He wants to free up that money. But what do you do now? Do you print more money to try to cover deficits? Do you just have a greater deficit? Um, because this money was allocated in the congressional budget. Right. There's a problem there. There's my, my biggest thing, um, both with the morality of I can forgive debts that I didn't actually issue. And now what do we do from a budget standpoint? Can you kind of expound on that first point that you just said? Can I do any of it? Like, well, I mean, so, so for instance, um, in short, like if you loan somebody money, I couldn't forgive that on your behalf. Right. What the government did was they took, you know, taxpayers' money, they took the citizens' money, obviously without vote, without real consent, except for the indirect way, obviously, our government functions, which is fine to some degree. But they loaned it out, and now they forgave it when it wasn't theirs to forgive. To me, there's a problem with that. I mean, that's what at least been brought before Congress so the people could write their representatives and say, do we want this or not? They issued. But it was within his power, wasn't it? Is that, is that under... Uh, I mean, I think legally he'll definitely... He uh, no, no, no. no I think, well, I mean, I think... Let me rephrase that. I know there are several senators who are trying to bring that up to court, and I don't know how successful or how um, what the merit of the argument is. I hadn't met on that uh, since I saw it introduced. But, I mean, he's using the HEROES Act you know, forgive debts um, and kind of uh, events of calamity. So whether it be national, you know, uh, natural disasters or obviously in this case, COVID-19. And I think that that is probably more appropriate than, let's say, things that the president, this one and the previous one did under the War Powers Act. Any challenge in court will be. But again, that's what I'm saying. It's not necessarily that I don't think he will win a legal argument. I just think it's a irresponsible, inappropriate thing to do because it wasn't your money. And, and I do have issues with the pattern of both major parties 
seeming to think this is their money first and not the American people's money first. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I understand that viewpoint. Do you think that canceling this debt in the middle of our infl- high inflation and probably, I mean, depending on what metrics you're using, we're either in a recession or heading toward a recession. Do you think that's going to exacerbate the problem or does it is it no issue or is it going to make things better? Um, I think it will exacerbate the problem. I don't know that it will ever be the most significant variable even when studied upon, you know, in, in the future when we look back on this. I don't think this will be the most significant aspect of economic problems our country faces or uh, poor economic policy our government put in place. You know, I think especially pandemic, there were much bigger problems that have led to the more immediate. But yeah, I don't think it helps. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I This isn't a topic that I've deep dived into, uh, especially since, oh, you know, this has been going on over the last month and I've been home and not deeply immersed in Twitter news and Reddit threads and all other, com- like normally I, I can list, read a bunch of uh, these kind of debates whether 240 characters at a time is a good place for these debates, but at least I can see what, you know, what's going on, uh, on both sides. I I haven't been able to do that much. So I, I, again, I'm not, I don't know what that, like to me, just as a, as a layman off the top of my head, like if these people are paying what little money they have into their student loan, freeing from them from that is going to add, you know, pump more money into the economy. I don't know if pumping more money into the economy is actually the right thing to do or not, but at least that gives more pe- people more money to have access to. And in general, people of lower means don't save their money. They spend their money, not because they, I mean, they might have poor monetary policy personally, but in general they have to, they don't, they're not putting, yeah, they're not, you know, stocking away money they're spending money on rent on food on gas on whatever so from that aspect of it i think it helps the economy but we're given and we're in an inflationary period i don't know if we need to be pumping more money into the economy well and, and that's kind of the the retort i was going to have and i was going to see where you kind of stood with that because obviously the response would be yes i mean sure it put could put more money back in the economy likely will um, because as you mentioned to target lower income earners. Um, and I think for the most part, it, it does that reasonably well from what statistics bear out. Uh, and they will put that money back in the economy. But the counter argument is, okay, so we add to the deficit, increase the debt by virtue of adding to the deficit. We need to do that. Why? Because things cost so much more across the board. So certainly we'd be looking at what did we do to make things cost more? And can we retract some of those policies? Obviously, the uh, you know, thousands of dollars people got because they weren't allowed to go to work and stuff like that. That can't be undone. Yeah. That's already happened. Yeah. But are there other things that are currently taking place that could be fixed? Um, you know, that that would actually help bring down prices as opposed to did this course of action. We already solved it, man. We we got the Inflation Reduction Act. It's already it's right in the name. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and 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 you know it's. <laughs> And you, you know it's great economic policy when both Senator Sanders and let's say like a Senator Cruz are like, I don't like this. This doesn't this doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think I can say one way or the other on the debt cancellation as it pertains to the current inflation and economic 
I definitely see the arguments for why it could make things worse, but I also see the arguments for why it could make things better. Uh, I don't think that touting it as a way to reduce inflation and or help the economy is probably the right way uh, or the right messaging because I don't think any, like, I don't think we know, but uh, yeah, again, I, it's adding to the deficit, adding to the debt, who knows how much actual effect it'll have on the economy as a whole. I think what government does is we treat, we, what the government does is they treat symptoms more than problems. A lot of the time, that's what the COVID thousand dollar, you know, Trump bucks the first time and Biden bucks the second time did. I think this is the same kind of issue like, oh, these poor people are getting hit hard with uh, inflation. Let's cancel some of this debt so they have some money to for, for rising prices. But like part of what makes inflation inflate is that people have money to buy things and supply goes down and prices go up and it just exacerbates inflation. So I definitely see that point of view from it. Uh, but it's generally not giving poor people money in general, like regard, like I'm not talking about through debt cancellation or whatever, but in general is not what's going to ramp up inflation uh, significantly, I guess I should say. I should caveat it. But yeah, so I don't know. I I have mixed feelings on it. Again, I think the the other parts that didn't get nearly as much mainstream media attention of the uh, college loan replacement what i don't know what they i don't know what the official word is i just had the dang fact sheet up i closed it but the we'll call it debt cancellation because i know that's your favorite term for it i think the other aspects of it are way better and that should be promoted more like the the 10 to twenty thousand cancellation i think just has a bad like you're going to get bad pr like again from the what you're saying is like that's our money you don't you shouldn't be able to just give it away without any say from us like i totally get that angle uh I, I would much rather them just do the other stuff and then not do the debt cancellation. I know debt cancellation is really big in, with progressives for student loans. I think that, again, my my quote-unquote solution is you just make the first two years free for everybody. College isn't for everybody. If you can't figure that out in the first two years, then, I mean, you're not going to survive long in this world. But at least you'll get two years in and be like, okay, do I want to take on this debt to finish this other two years of my degree? Like you've gotten a taste of it. You're halfway done with it. And now you, you, you're more informed. Like an 18 year old, 17, 18 year old kid shouldn't be making that choice for the next four to six years of their life. That, yeah, I want to be saddled with six figures of debt before I've even started earning money. That's a tough decision to make. When you're at least 20 and you've been two years in college and hopefully have taken an economics class or something, you're more, you're obviously more informed to make that decision yourself. Uh, whether that, is realistic from a budgetary, you know, perspective. I, I've never like looked at any, I don't know if the, uh, like congressional budget office has actually ever done a study. They do studies on all this stuff all the time because I don't think it's actually been a bill to how much it would add to the debt and deficit or we like, you got to understand that like the more higher educated people are, the more money they're bringing in, that's more tax revenue. Uh, at the end of the day. So like there is an investment that you are getting recouped. Like the faster you start earning more money, the longer, like it's the same thing now. Like the more money you start saving now as a 22 year old out of college, that money like compounds infinitely more than if you start saving when you're 40. Uh, I think an aspect of it that's been talked about for as long as the government has been in student loans of like we've made education 
like the cost of education has gone through the roof since government started getting involved with loans and stuff. I totally understand that. Like I would have loved to seen a cap on at least public universities. Uh, private universities are their own beast, but like at least public universities, like the government should put a cap on what they can charge for tuition uh, because that's been insanely inflated. That's one of the most inflationary things in the entire U.S. economic industry is the cost of education. Our parents' generation, it was insanely cheap, and our grandparents' generation was even cheaper, uh, given the uh, uh, like even adjusted for inflation, the the, the dollar amount. I don't know. I'm always for more education, so I'm always going to lean that way. Whether whether it makes financial sense, I, I think it does. But even if it's like a, a net neutral thing, I think it's worth investing in education. Actually, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously on the details, uh, we, we have disagreed on some of that, but I don't disagree with you at all. Um, I think with the government um, – beyond just kind of my spiel of always, you know, the government's primary role is, is protecting individual life, liberty, and property. I think you do have to have foresight and the things we should always be having, uh, striving to have foresight in um, would really be uh, defense and research or defense and education, because that's one of those things where by the time you realize you're too late, it's too late to do anything about it. So yeah, yeah. for instance, I think there is merit to the thought, um, let's say just right now, I think China is putting out 20, 20 engineers for every one of ours. And that's pretty much across the board in the STEM categories. So in two or three decades, what are we going to do when they're the leaders in AIML? What are we going to do when they're the leaders in high-speed transportation and their economy can grow faster than ours and we can't catch up because they've got trains going three, 400 miles an hour and then that has an effect on many different aspects of the economy. So you, you have to be able to study those things, look at that, see the, the competitive market in the global economy and say, what do we need to do to prepare for that? Um, and obviously, we talked about a couple of episodes ago about the, the ineffectiveness of a two-party system. And some of that ineffectiveness is going to have a result you know, for our future generations because we're not thinking about how to address those issues. So if it is high-need jobs, I can understand the government giving scholarships to the top what percent to make sure that we fill those and we're, we're leading the world in those essential skills. Yeah, I think, I think that, I don't know, that encapsulates my problem with libertarianism and like everything like limiting the government to like the bare necessities, life, liberty, and property, if you're going to be super strict about it. But like that right there is exactly why you need the U.S. government to have some form of power directing our you know 50 states to look beyond the now and like being able to gauge what we need in the future and like you can't force it but incentivizing it like you said like we both said seeing china is getting highly skilled in these areas and we're falling behind in those areas like that's absolutely why you need the federal government to do more than just protect your life, liberty, and property, because really it does protect your life, liberty, and property by maintaining dominance and air and space and, uh, you know, naval capacity and being able to exploit resources faster than it's a, I mean, I, we've said it a million times. I said at the top of the show, I have a gaming podcast with our other uh, host, Josh, and it's something very similar in uh, these 
uh, real-time strategy games is there are resources on the map you need to exploit. It's a finite amount, and you need to get to those resources before your opponent can and exploit them before your opponent can because it gives you a huge advantage. You can pump out, I mean, it, obviously these are video games, but like you can pump out more tanks and more troops or whatever, but that that's the, it's basically the same analog with real life. You can, you can develop more technology. You can have, we're doing electric cars, right? Imagine if we can do electric rockets that get, you know, we can get into space easier and faster without burning a ton of fuel and needing uh, all these, you know, natural gas or whatever. Like all that stuff is strategic resources that we need. And the more, the faster we can identify them, the faster we can extract them, the cleaner we can do it. That all matters. And we need those skilled jobs to do that. And absolutely. And that's, that's, again, that's one of the things why I think like libertarianism falls short is like you, you can't have that foresight without having a federal government with the ability to do something like that. Yeah, and I guess my, <clears throat> to some degree, and yeah, I'm definitely not towing perfectly the libertarian line, although I do think you said it well. Sure. Saying, like This foresight is going to be um, the means by which we ensure that this amazing opportunity that we've enjoyed gets passed down. And, and yeah, you know, and then we have still the, the economic and practical freedom to do a lot of things that we want to do but I think even so, like this was pretty consistent with the justification for the Constitution and the way federalism is supposed to work. Um, is one of the early Federalist papers that I believe Hamilton wrote, but he spoke kind of to the the point of having a united government and moving away from the Articles of Confederation is going to be necessary for the survival of America. Because if we aren't a leader in, uh, even at that time, global economics, then what's going to happen is we're just going to be used as pawns when one of the, the economic superpowers of the world goes to war with each other. That that's just how it's going to play out. And obviously his his argument was um, if we aren't we don't have a strong military and we try to sell our products to a rival, then the, they're going to threaten war. So we needed to bind together. And he made a bunch of other supporting arguments, but that was his, his crux was we need a strong military. So we can have strong economic vitality throughout the world and we can do what we need to do to survive and not just be, be puppets to wealthier and militarily mightier nations. So if that was the case, and I think we actually did this back in the Cold War a little bit better when we had a you know a, a existential rival in, in the USSR, um, I think there's, there's, again, wisdom and foresight to saying so we're going to give scholarships to the top 5% of national high school uh, students with these subjects or these disciplines. Um, and, and if you, you know, and obviously there has to be some agreement, like if we're paying for your college, like we want to direct you here. And that's a, a consensual agreement between two parties, which is fine. And if you don't want that and it's not for you, that's fine. But it's a way to get our best and brightest in the most needed positions and hopefully give them job satisfaction for decades because they're working on the cutting edge of, you know, whatever the, the, the discipline is. Yeah. And it might not even, I guess, Probably cutting out third parties is middlemen is better to some degree, maybe. But you could also just like incentivize, you know, whatever. I don't know too many high skilled companies, but like Siemens Engineering, right? Like if you guys pay for X amount of students to get engineering degrees, you know, in whatever discipline, we'll give you these tax breaks or whatever. Not that our tax code needs more complication, but you can you can also just incentivize the private sector to do it as well to offer these scholarships. Uh, but I still think like just having the government doing it, quote unquote, is easier it, just because of the mechanisms in place. But I also can see the the 
like let these companies hire the people they need to hire because you know there'll at least be some sort of interview process and it's not just a blanket you do this for us and we'll you know a bl- the government's not gonna be able to like vet as well as a private company would whether we need need that or not but I, again i think fraud waste and abuse is basically synonymous with uh bureaucracy so maybe letting the private sector take that on would be smarter and just kind of offering that like you show us you paid for this many students who graduated and got jobs with you uh in this field and will write you off the taxes of that or whatever yeah and and you might be right i would also just think that of the um in high demand if you're let's say going for the top five percent in stem right now i'm gonna make a, a probably accurate assumption that the overwhelming majority, over 99%, probably aren't doing drugs on the weekend, um, probably aren't making poor choices that would make them a poor investment, because just to get in the 5% nationally of a a very field, you have to be somebody of exceptional skill and character to get there. And if you you don't do well in college because you get distracted, well, you lose your scholarship. It goes to the next person. Sure. Yeah, I don't necessarily need... Think it needs to be the top five percent or whatever. It just needs to be people who are willing to to do it. Uh, I think you know we're so far behind and we're falling further behind that it's not a like we need to take the best of the best because yes the be- yes the top five percent their success rate is going to be ninety percent or higher. But like <laughs> if you're getting ninety percent of the top five percent, that's still a really small pool of people. Whereas if you're just like let's take the top twenty percent we're going to get a higher fail rate, but we're actually going to get more on the back end just because of numbers, uh, whatever that is. You know what I'm saying? Like at, yeah, this, I agree. At, at this point, we can't be as picky as we, we need to uh, because we're so far behind. Yeah. And again, I was using 5% as kind of a random number, but what sure, 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 sure. The positions we need filled here are the, the number of people we need to do this job, to catch up, to get on top. So what percentage of that, um, Basically, what's the percentage we need to fill those positions? If it's 30%, 40%, whatever, like, you at least try to make a dent in that. And maybe you do it, like you said, with partnerships between government and and, uh, private industry. But, I mean, that's to me, that's the the most significant thing the federal government should be doing is they should be looking more long-term, and they should be doing only the things that the states in and of themselves can't do with everything being an effort to, you know, secure the blessings of liberty. No matter what Virginia does, we're not going to be able as a state to compete with China economically. We're not going to be able to defend the nation. That's not a responsibility, right? Our primary responsibility should be on things um, such as stated, you know, that the, the high school education system in our state um, should be on criminal justice in our state. And the federal government shouldn't have as active of a hand there um, unless that was an appropriate use of federal government there because he is protecting individuals' rights. Other than that, the federal government really doesn't have a big place, in my opinion, on matters of criminal justice, at least not the way that posture, at least, you know, on, on the Senate floor of speeches. Well, you basically can't take any of that stuff seriously. Like, that's, it's basically just a uh, political ad paid for by us. Oh, another example of our tax dollars being well spent. Yeah, I, I mean, well-spent tax dollars are few and far between, man. Fair, but it doesn't mean I can't complain about it. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what we do here. We complain. Uh, you got anything else for uh, why it's wrong that broke college kids shouldn't have their uh, student loans forgiven? Uh, 
nothing, nothing more for tonight. I'm sure it'll come up later. <laughs> yeah, I think again, I think overall, like it's we're we're treating a symptom and not the root cause, and that's just we're that's what the government does. They don't they don't ever treat the symptoms, unfortunately. But I think there is going to be some short term benefit. I think it's you know, are you one of those people that are like I don't? I, both of us are military. Both of us had GI Bill, but like, are you one of the like, oh, you know, my cousin or sister or parents had to repay their debt, you know, and they did it. We shouldn't be forgiving few, like these people's debt is like that I mean, part of the calculus for you. So that's not necessarily part of the calculus as much because I think if that's the principle you live off of, you never improve. Um, you can't right. say something I, bad. A thousand bad. percent agree. But what? Well, but I, I do have a heart for people who say I can't afford to take this debt. Therefore, I'm not going to go to this sure. school or pursue this they degree. Will. They lost out on the opportunity. They lost the opportunity that was the the wise and right choice for them to make, given the circumstances, for to, to kind of go back and change, you know, retroactively change those circumstances and then put them behind um, potentially for their life, um, education and a, a professional uh, perspective. That, that's, I mean, I do sympathize with them. I do hurt for them, but I'm definitely not the, this was wrong in the past. Therefore, we're just going to live with it. That's, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, that was a good. It's good to see you. Like, uh, I, you know, it's been a while. I was supposed to come over for the college football thing, but life got in the way. Uh, hopefully, we can uh, do something. I'm unfortunately going out of town this week, and there's the Leesburg Air Show that I wanted to go to with um, my oldest son. That's happening this weekend, but we have to go to Arizona. My wife's uh, last remaining grandparent passed away. We're going to Arizona for the uh, service this weekend. So I'll be out. But yeah, we need to f- figure something out. Um, I don't know if there's some kind of like, I know there's a bunch of Oktoberfest things happening. If you want to eat some German food over the next month, uh, Halloween. I don't know if there's any Halloween stuff going on. I mean, I'm sure there's Halloween stuff going on, but I, I don't know of anything specifically. But yeah, we definitely, uh, I saw, we had uh, some pictures from your last july 4th from 2021 uh we had some pictures pop up on like our memories i was like oh that was the last time i saw thomas in person (laughs) wow that's crazy that has been a long time yeah we gotta hang out again time flies all right guys thanks for hanging out with us again uh join the discord uh it's always in the description you'll get some fun conversations uh not from thomas he doesn't talk in there he muted he muted discord entirely like i mute his twitter account uh, but yeah, we we have talked about. Let's see, what's some recent? Oh, we're talking about the Texas judge rules gun buying ban for people under felony indictment is unconstitutional. That was the topic du jour today. But we have all kinds of uh, kind of we talk about stuff we talk about on the show, but we also talk about show adjacent stuff that might end up being a future episode as it is. Uh, but yeah, all things that are kind of like. Not political, but just things going on in the world, world events. We, you know, the Ukraine thing we talk about a lot, uh, but also political stuff, obviously. And it's a pretty friendly environment. It doesn't get hostile in there. So please come join us. And if you don't even like that stuff, which why you listen to this podcast, if you don't like that stuff. But if you don't, there's plenty of other stuff, gaming, sports, uh, food channel, books, movies, TV, music. People are going crazy for that House of Dragons show. I, I don't watch shows week to week. I wait for them to be completely out and binge them. So waiting for House of Dragons, and I'm waiting for Lord of the Rings to finish so I can binge watch those. 
You guys watch anything interesting lately? No, we've been searching for months for like something really good to watch and have kind of bounced from a few. Yeah, sports. That's I mean, that's really the only TV I watch. Uh, what? How long do you give a show before you throw it away and start something new? I mean, if it's an hour long episode, I'll probably give it three to five. If it's thirty minutes, probably you know, obviously twice that. The exception. What was the uh, what was the uh, How Much a Mother spinoff on Hulu? With How Much a Father? Probably How I Met Your Father. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. I gave it like two episodes. And I'm just like, yeah, this is dumb. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, I think I think like comedies and stuff. If you're not laughing in the first couple episodes, it's probably not going to get any better. Uh, but for like dramas or like long, long form, it takes a couple episodes to actually get into them. Uh, you develop, so I don't know what you guys are into, obviously. But the the Sandman on Netflix, I liked. That was pretty good. That's really the only new thing I've seen recently. Uh, I, I I missed a lot of stuff over the, like last semester, basically, while I was in school, and I've stopped watching stuff since this semester started. But I watched Sandman uh, with when I was with the newborn up late at night. I was watching that, and then I I caught up on some old old stuff that I've been meaning to watch. But yeah, I haven't during school. I can't watch anything, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, I've heard good things about. I've heard. Decent things about the Lord of the Rings series. I've heard good things about House of Dragons if you're a Game of Thrones fan. I'm looking forward to watching those two shows. Whenever you can catch up on sleep and get ahead of homework. and Yeah, yeah. Again, well, like I said at the beginning of the show, I much prefer sleep over almost any other anything else. I There are very few things I'll take over, over sleep. So watching TV shows is not one of them. I will gladly pass out in the middle of a TV show. No, no issues there. But as always, guys, thank you guys for listening. Follow us on Twitter at OVOD State, at the Rake Padilla's of Four, at Thomas Black underscore 86. And once again, please join that Discord. We, we always enjoy new members coming in and contributing. Take it easy, guys.